Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Skylight Books. Skylight Books is this incredible treasure. It is not only an independent bookstore where you can find books that you're not going to find. Well, where do you find books these days? <laughs> it's a bookstore, and it's an independent bookstore. And one of the things that's always been special to me about Skylight is they are intensely supportive of local Los Angeles poets and writers. When you look at their calendar, yeah, they bring in big fancy people from other places and they have big fancy people from Los Angeles, but they also have um, community-based authors, community-based um, anthologies, writing groups, and that's always been true. So the deal about a bookstore, what is a bookstore here to do? Bookstore is here to sell books. So I want to encourage you to support Skylight Books by buying books. I do have a few suggestions <laughs> that are books by some of the people that you're going to hear today. And we've got um, Tongue Tied by Manaz Saibzada. We've got Self-Portrait as Rumor and Blood by Rachel Cruz. We have Air Kissing on Mars by Kim Dower. This is new and we're very excited about it. We have The Silence of Doorways by Sharon Venezio. And we have Wounded World by me, which is also new, which is not poetry, but lyric essays, which might as well be poetry because they're part of that family. So as you can see, thank you, you are surrounded by shopping opportunities. Um, and just understand, whether you buy these books or whether you buy any of the other beautiful books that are here, just understand that don't wait until this place goes away. Los Angeles has lost a lot of bookstores. We lost Sisterhood Bookstore. We lost a different light bookstore. I mean, I won't go through the um, obituaries. But um, it's painful 
when these institutions go away. And they go away because they can't pay the rent. So you can help them. That's my little speech. And thanks, Skylight, because Skylight has been so incredibly supportive to us. And you will see me before I leave putting my money where my mouth is because I'm going to buy a couple of these books and take them home. Okay, so the next thing I want to say is it's National Poetry Month. Yay! And um, it's very exciting that this incredibly underground art form and, and you would be amazed at the number of people who participate with poetry, read poetry, but it's kind of like this little secret private thing. Maybe they write poetry in their journal. Um, it's so much more widespread than the economics would ever indicate. So it's lovely to have a month where people are talking about and celebrating poetry, but really, of course, we should be doing it you know, every month out of the year. Um, but I'm very grateful to have this opportunity today to present to you um, a roster of poets that comes from two sources. First of all, uh, some of the poets you will hear today uh, are part of the Poets at Work group um, at Writers at Work. And uh, I think everybody's got a yellow sheet on your chair. And if you don't, there's some up at the front desk that just talks about Writers at Work. In addition to those poets, we have been lucky enough to assemble a group of really talented, really dynamic poets who are up and coming. And they come from different parts of the city, from different communities of writers, um, and we have them here today, and, and that's very special to me. Um, I got to hear them earlier in the workshop, and um, we're all in for a treat. So the way this is going to work is I will introduce the first poet. After that, everybody's just going to get up and introduce themselves. You have, you should have a blue sheet with everybody's bios and their, um, you know, a little, a little bit about them, just a little bit. And uh, we're going to move really quick. It'll be like a little sampler, like one of those boxes of candy that has, you know, all those different kinds of candy. Just a little bite of this, a little, a little nut, a little cashew, a little um, uh, cher cherry, chocolate cherry. All right, so um, without further ado, it is my great pleasure to present this roster of poets uh, and to introduce to you our first reader, Ashley Blakeney. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming. Um, I won't talk too much because I have a lot of words to say. So, um, can you hear me okay? This is fine? Okay. Boy with a coin he found in the weeds with bullets and pages of trade magazines close to a car that flipped on a turn when God left the ground and circled the world. Teetering along the narrow braided wire, metallic disc balanced in the groove of his pad, of, I'm sorry, in the groove of his in the grooved pad of his middle finger, unwavering, taunting the titillating tones of impatient and sensed impulses, steady, ascending above the alabaster alone, refusing to wait for he to return home, grounded. And when chaos meets empty, no clarity will be found, 
no refurbishing the metal disc found on the ground. And when he meets the barricade of his unheard prayers, he'll catch his laden reflection and find out if he can fly. Thank you. <clears throat> Autumn 2010. He said, would you dance with me until time runs out, until lights turn red and there's nowhere to go? Nowhere at all except autumn, where we will fall into each other's arms. Yes, I said, and when we fall, I will lie there until you feel no more sorrow, until the gleam of your smile makes your tears too blind to drop. My head on the left side of your chest, I will memorize the tempo of your heart and kiss you on every third downbeat. My arms wrapping around your body, though my fingertips may barely touch, I will squeeze out any lingering fear and replace it with my off-tune but still pleasant melodies. And if your feet grow tired, I will lift you onto my back, climb the narrowest staircase, reach the highest roof, and we will lie there until the tips of the stars massage your feet long enough for us to dance again. And it will be silent. As our spirits assemble between the constellations, they will learn balance and patience, how to laugh, how to love with no filter, and how to trust the wind. I am small. I may not be able to save the entire world, but can I start by loving you? Okay, and then my last one. Whew, all right, I'm really nervous, so I'm kind of just plowing through them. Um, this one is called My Eargasm, an Ode to Music. My eargasm, that calm storms with its hymnal hooks, providing prayer to my ears and sacredly soothing the cobblestone cracks in my anxiety-ridden soul. My eargasm, whose bass line induces perfectly timed head nods, heads perfectly cocked to the side, East Coast style, with that grimacing face of approval. My eargasm, whose vocals come in many shades, tastily quenching my, my need for musical diversity, eclectically educating through song, seducing a range of emotions out of me. My electronic eargasm with your extraterrestrial cheeks, blowing constellations over your tracks, sitting on sunny moon, seeing Portishead's pedestal through Flying Lotus's satellite, synesthete watching a stereo entity's gorilla stomping on sound waves, your cosmic jug is a difficult high to refuse. My neo-soul eargasm with your sultry lips, me and those dreaming eyes of mine long to delicately kiss you. I want to whisper into your ear, how does it feel, and take advantage of you as your deep voice croons into my neck. My fingers trace your voice as you reach falsetto, and I can't help but wonder if you really taste like brown sugar. My jazz eargasm, meant for more than when I'm in a sentimental mood. Your eyes gleam with stories of black excellence, your cool pianos and trumpets, basses and saxophones, unapologetic unapologetically tell the stories your fingers dance upon them. From Coltrane's lush life to Glasper's canvas, your progression has remained classy yet edgy like the tresses of Esperanza. You're a genre that will never die. Please keep making us dizzy. My hip-hop eargasm is internationally known to rock the microphone. Some mistake your sharp tongue, backbeats, and 16 bars as juvenile, but they underestimate your core. Instead of asking, can I kick it? They scream, hip-hop is dead, but you persevered and raised your strong black fist to the pale faces through resurrection. Hip-hop, you're such a vibrant thing. You're a, modern you're a modern marvel. And whether they're ready or not, your genius will always shine. From the tip of the Eiffel Tower, to the tabletop in South Africa, to Venice Beach in California, to your New York state of mind. And I will wear out my passport and attempt to experience all of you. 
my eargasm that calms storms with its hymnal hooks, providing prayer to my ears and sacredly soothing the cobblestone cracks in my anxiety-ridden soul. everyone, I'm Rachel. Thank you um, to Skylight Books and thank you to Terry for the invitation. Um, I'm reading two poems. How to Fight Back, Hayward, California. I'm gonna scratch up his car, pour sugar in his gas tank and watch the whole thing blow. A girl inside a car of women, almost women, Speed down Mission Boulevard to downtown Hayward. Jalapeno poppers on their laps, dinner. Miles away, their cousin cools her bruises with weed choke, leaning on cold brick. Motherfucker, the driver says, swerving past Whitman, is gonna get it, pipe and all. The girl says nothing, sticks her hand out of the window to cool a pepper. Springtime red and dying on her face like fingers on her arms. She considers spring a season for lovers, his smile, of course. She is convincing with her hands. She hopes they are convinced. Motherfucker, the girl repeats, burning her fingertips and lips on hot grease. With more force and heat, she thinks, this must be love. Self-portrait is blood, and this is after Lucille Clifton. If there is a river more ecstatic than this, simmering between fingers, black-red as night parting through the reeds, then let me gnaw my mother's finger into the bell of her silence. If there is a river more powerful than this, pray that it flows through the magic of return. Silt loosened by the heart's surge and carried into the chambers of my wilderness. If there is a river more present than this, teach me how to unfurl dawn with my hands, to stroke honey-mouthed generations with this wild, wild water. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is like a relay race. <laughs> Poetry relay. <laughs> oh, I'm Kim Dower, and uh, I am in Poets at Work. I've been in that f for five years with Terry. So I'm going to read three poems from that have all gone through that class at, at different times. The first one from my book, Air Kissing on Mars, and the second poem from a book that's coming out in a few months. And the last poem, New, that's not, that's just floating around, as poems do. Uh, so this first poem was inspired by the Olympics. I was watching on TV a few years ago and I was fascinated by the, the women divers. It's called Women's Competition. The Chinese divers are so good they barely make a splash. Before they plunge, they arrange their bathing suits, their cheeks, their hair. 
With outstretched arms, legs pointed like birds swooping down for fish, they slice the water as clean as a knife into angel food cake. Emerging spotless, the diver, the dive, the water, all one, making it look easy as powdering your nose, quick and deep as a tetanus shot. Lovers breathing together, synchronized like watches before the heist. The water is the music they keep time to, their own reflections drawing them backward, hands tight behind their knees. The next poem is a poem I wrote um, well, for my mother, inspired by her when she was at a nursing home the last year of her life. And it's called Board and Care Clock. My mother tells me she needs a clock, is unsure of the time when she wakes after a late afternoon nap ever since she's been in this place. I tell her, look, look up there. Point to a clock, round, clear, as her grandchildren's faces. Show her how the second hand, how it ticks on the wall above the TV. But she says no, she doesn't like that clock. Wants a smaller, more intimate clock to sit beside her like a friend in the park. She wants time to be hers alone. Like the chocolates I bring, she won't share with the other ladies in hats who sit politely, all dying for the same thing. A reason to care what time it is, as the seconds gather like dots on an impressionist painting. Gray, shadowy, soft edges of intermingling minutes, creating the illusion of color, light, the culmination of life. It's nice to every poem is applauded. <laughs> is there like a meter? Is this like chorus girls or something? We're all going to. The last poem is called A Fly with One Wing is Watching Me. This is a true story, by the way. I remember this fly from long ago when it had two wings. I was living in Boston, tried to kill it so many hot summer nights, terrorized me as I tried to sleep, circling the chaos in my head. Knew him so well, I called him Jack. Tried to make it a fun thing, this fly intent on ruining my life. Now he's in L.A., languishing on the soft chair across the room, watching me work. I can see he's less a fly since he's lost a wing, and I want to know his anguish. Come here, little fly, I gently call to him. But flies are so nervous they think we're all trying to kill them, so they don't wait to hear what we have to say. I approach him slowly, put my finger out, invite him to hop on, but he doesn't move. Maybe his one wing is too tired to lift. So I sit next to him, remind him of his glory days, back when he could torment me, how much fun it must have been for him. He doesn't move. I consider flicking him across the room or smashing him right there. But why? 
It's clear he came by to see me, find out how I'm doing, acknowledge the past when his buzz was his life and he couldn't resist being the best fly he could be. Thank you. Hello. My name is Yvonne M. Estrada. The M is for my middle initial. <laughs> the first poem I'm going to read today is called His Ghost. It floats out of my mouth when I mention him, hovers in front of my face like a little hologram or a paper doll with different outfits, gray suit, wide tie, blue shirt, tiny work attire, dull yellow shirt, burnt orange pants, the golf clothes, upsetting. Vertically striped pajamas or a ridiculously wrinkled faded hospital gown. I always wonder who else can see him, but nobody says anything if they do. It's hard to tell if it's smiling. It only stares at me or out windows. It doesn't speak or give the <whistles> I'm home whistle. I hate his ghost because when it doesn't show up, it's a disappointing reminder. It's like when he was alive. Fascination. One, the rooster, the rooster comes upon his reflection. Repeated explosions of wings he unfolds, puffs up, lion size, claws click and scratch. Huge chest batters, the glass clatters loose in the frame. A miracle that it does not break. Two, when she looked in the mirror, she saw a little girl inside her body, lighting matches, burning her insides, until she did what that little girl told her to do. Three, one dove waits for its mate to return. All calls go unanswered. She builds a nest in an abandoned shed up against a broken mirror. And, and this is the last poem here. Beneath the surface, in the still afternoon, nothing is still. Croaking ravens police palm nests. Dry-tipped fronds scratch at their own raggedy bark. Bushier trees heave in wind. Leaves whisper after the throwing down of boulder-sized shadows. I stare into space, lulled by mow and blow buzz and distant jets in an April sky. I am completely occupied. What looks like a box of dirt is soil I have tilled, planted, and watered. Now I wait, the pent-up silence, nothing less than life beginning. Thank you. Hey everyone, I'm Steven. Uh, the inspiration for my first poem came one morning while I was watching surfers at Manhattan Beach and through the mist I saw something far more than surfing, something very ancient, universal, themes nothing less than birth, death, and the myth of the eternal return. The title, Monomyth, 
is a reference to Joseph Campbell's heroic journey. Monomyth. And it would be in he for whom the moon pulls strongly on each salt cell of the blood, in whom the rush and roar of distant tides echo through inner brine cathedrals like a conch shell's memory of ocean that will come the gull's cry. And so to stir from sleep and set out sightless into darkness to follow onward the sea smell and roaring as the roaring grows ever louder, where finally at the roaring's edge, first spark of dawn glowing faintly from within the womb of primordial mist, the inchoate light suffusing each tiny droplet with its awakening. Then, crossing the threshold into the kelp-strewn amniotic vortex, guided by currents of instinct through hoary spume wastes and barnacled knuckles of rock and reef rack, the sea slick spermatozoan, breaching and diving through breakers, wriggling out past the crashing and chaos, nestling among calmer, undulant folds of water, to wait for the mist to clear, for the light to grow warmer and brighter, until, across rolling gray whalebacks of waves, scattered golden pools of pulsing sun. Then, a great swelling from beneath, surging skyward, drawn up as though by an unseen hand, sucked into the churning varescence, flung forward, but not falling, instead melding with the motion, with a balance imparted by months of patiently dwelling in moon rhythm, with exhilaration accelerating along a seemingly pre-selected path towards the rapidly closing water eye, emerging from the tube, spit out headfirst in a heaving exhale of spray, and with the bittersweet knowledge that the end is all too imminent, all that effort put forth, if only for a few seconds of weightless forever. Feeling the swelling cease beneath, the buoyancy sink with the roaring into silence. And then to turn and turn again and drift while the tides, oh, the tides, the tides curling in over, the tides going out under, perfect sideways figure eights beneath the solitary black speck lightless star waiting to be born again. Thank you. And my second, my second poem derives from an exercise we recently did in class, and it is entitled Ellipse. What's so funny? <laughs> All right. It's entitled Ellipse. Sky is an ocean with white-winged boats. Boats are bones arranged so they float. Float is the absence of direction or weight. Weight is the presence of fear and of hate. Hate is the ulcer that burns through the gut. Gut is the answer before you've asked what. What is a finger that points to a where? Where is a dot on the segment of there? There is a plane in the dimension of when. When is the mother that gave birth to then. Then is the moment when you became you. You is the response to the question of who. Who was the first? Or was it the why? Why is a ripple in the sea of the sky. Thank you.
Thanks for being here, everyone. My name is Dylan Gailey. And uh, I have sort of an annual routine here where I sort of uh, roll out uh, a piece of uh, a larger work, which is titled Kinds of Lonely. And so today you're going to meet Agnes. Agnes makes lists. Agnes's list of holdings is the title. Uh, I will say before that there is something in common with all three of these poems, and that is that they have something to do with capacity. And in this case, it is perhaps our capacity to hold on to others' things in order to be held. Agnes's lists of holdings. If they could, the lonely would be willing to hold a grudge, an opinion, a place in line. They'd hold the weight of worry, your misplaced opera ticket, its tongue. The lonely would hold you at bay, awake, in judgment, hold as tight as a rosebud, accountable, a soiree. The lonely will hold you prisoner, a moment, secrets, will hold your handcuffs, a burning match to your wickless taper. They could, if you'd permit them, hold your rent, a hot plate, your key. They'll hold court, playing cards, your smoldering gun. The lonely will hold your hat, cane, your stillborn son, the bangs away from your furrowed brow, your pain. They will hold out for hope. Please hold. the capacity to hold history, to hold memory. It was for the best. When it was time to fell the sentinel tree, there was no turning back, no change of heart. Nearly 25 years of careful feeding, pruning, and patience, she simply refused to bear mature fruit, became sick with disappointment. So down went the sentinel, whose origin remained a mystery, since not one of us could recall planting a sapling or seed. She appeared one spring morning, fragile and wispish, her mantis green wing-like leaves, her tender, nimble limbs sagged under the weight of dew and infertility. You may hold your applause until the end. <laughs> uh, the last piece I will read today is um, titled Expiration. And I would say that this has a great deal to do with the capacity of letting go. Expiration. And all flesh that moved on the earth expired. Definition from the Darby Bible. Fumbling through the cold, souring contents of my diminishing, mid-sighted days, it has come to this. This rifling through drawers of mold and the mossy slick of greens left in the chill too long. 
budging bottles from frosted glass shelves, leaving the milk-ringed hula hoops and syrupy oblong hints that all organics expire in time. It has come to this, this scanning over all the single-story flats of tartar, plum, and caper jars, while peering between the high-rise soy and Worcestershire bottles, all stamped with a run of smudged blues and blacks, their days are numbered. It has come to this, all this waste, and what had become a family joke, you'd ask, have either of you seen my glasses? Have you checked the icebox, we'd recite. I am now, as you did then, shifting the sweet, pungent nature of history while searching the cold spot for my readers, remembering that it has come to this, this clamminess of flesh vacant of breath. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Brett Hofer, and the first poem I'm reading today is Untitled for Tom Waits. I want to be the name of a stripper scribbled in a matchbook you carry in your torn breast pocket, a cigarette stashed behind your left ear. I want to stroll in that foggy offshore haze of lipstick-stained Pall Malls and dime store perfume from last night's not-quite-almost-love that still smolders in a Perino's ashtray on the nightstand lifted long ago. I want to linger in your room at the Tropicana Motel in the shipwreck of your unmade bed, smell brill cream from your pompadour on my fingers as I watch you bathe in the sink. Neon birds of cocktail prey circling just outside your windows, waiting for the last of the nighthawks to leave the diner before it closes. This is from a series of prose poems that I'm writing. This is memory fragment number six, El Moro. My father would dig holes in the sand in front of Grammy's yellow beach trailer, so deep that we could stand in them, and then he would bury us, leaving only our heads exposed. When this became boring, we would unearth ourselves as zombies did in black and white horror movies, running, running screaming into the ocean to wash our bodies and return to life. We made necklaces from kelp, forts out of beach chairs, driftwood and shells. We pretended to be marooned, using the rusted metal buckets and shovels to make food that kept us alive until we were rescued. At night, we slept in the back of the trailer in bunk beds with spreads the same color as the filling in Three Musketeers bars that we bought at the trailer park store. They were embroidered with cowboys riding broncos, twirling lariats. 
the surf always there, just feet from the turquoise deck where the teenage boys slept who had hair on their bodies, bleached blonde from salt water and sun, cocooning themselves like larvae in sleeping bags next to waxy, sandy surfboards. On those nights, the sound of the waves crashing and voices from the alley behind us rekindled the sounds of the womb, that sea of dark blue blindness where we first swam when we had gills and our hands were jeweled silver fins. <clears throat> Excuse me. My next poem is for Arthur Russell, who was an American cellist, composer, singer, musician, and his work spanned the genres of classical, disco, experimental, folk, and rock. He died from complications of AIDS in April of 1992. Untitled for Arthur Russell. In the wind, you heard music as it swam through the deep green ocean of Oskaloosa corn. Two-lane Iowan highway rhythm sang your name when you headed west to escape a deaf nowhere. When I think of you playing cello in the Zen Center closet, you become a koan spun from the golden after effects of koi. In a 1970s East Village phone booth waiting for your connection, you composed rain into a disco sonata. I always like to include a poem about a poet at our readings. And this is a short poem about the haiku master Basho, who died in Osaka, Japan in 1694. For Basho, haiku master, 309 springs after his death. Purple petals of the jacaranda in Los Angeles smear the sidewalk's rough gray complexion. Sunless May sky is the same gray. Soon enough, it will be summer, when evening lingers like a vagrant for hours in elongated shadows of plumed foliage, of plumed foliage the color of newly born limes. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Eric Howard, and um, I'd like to uh, thank the bookstore for being here for all these years. Uh, I remember when it was Chatterton's and now it's Skylight, and it's an honor and a pleasure to read here. And I'd like to follow, since uh, Brett mentioned a, a Japanese author, uh, I should, oh, uh, about my biography, I should mention that I work in an office. So um, <clears throat> this one's called Ode to Routine, and it's based or steals from uh, a Japanese novel by uh, Abe Kobo. 
Ode, uh, let me start over. Ode to Routine. Mr. Sand climbs back stairs to his desk and wrinkles his face at the hourglass that mocks his deadlines in grainy burlesque of time that spins his pallets of laughing gas and oxygen away from the right docks. His frozen computer won't scrape the barnacles from clocks across the region. He cannot escape the operations boss coming his way. Sweaty clouds besiege his balding castle, but can't make boxes walk or dollars pray to stay where they are. He knew some hassle like this would come to blast his end of year. To sleep tonight, he'll need some pills and beer. Dune Woman covers for someone sicker, with more than a hundred orders to fill. Old fluorescent volts above her flicker, as she pushes tons of paperwork uphill into the drawer where her head disappears. The folders of her devotion, a library of tears, will be recycled on March 31, soon after severance. All her invoices will feed the big shredder, and all those days spent making a dozen tiny choices will pass like decades of traffic in praise of routine that dropshipped her youth, the king of morning promises and their breaking. Praise every employee of every week, the ghost we breathe, blood pressure and heartbeat. You schedule the stars and hide where we seek fresh coffee and daydreams and find defeat. Hooray, dental supplier news, manager of the month. Goodbye, dental supplier news, manager of the month. Um, I work for a legal magazine, and um, so this next one also involves office. Um, you know the fates, right, from Macbeth, uh, the three ladies, and um, that's the only other thing I should mention is that a law, um, at a law firm, a lot of third-year law students will work in uh, their summer internships, and so they're called summers, and so um, that's how summer could have a coat. <clears throat> All right, it's called The Office Fates. Even the managing partner is nice to those three old women in the basement of linoleum and fluorescent lights. Though above ground, he makes sure the firm's all white carpet and shine. Toner fingerprints smudge the tape that holds the you want it when cartoons hysteria to the, to the wall that their plaited ivies climbing agony stains. They share reading glasses on a beaded chain. Layoffs pass them over, perhaps because their postal scales know the price and their bait stamps count each page of every petition that by bike messenger flies to the judge. Prayers for relief they answer, however, in order receive and sometimes kindly. Their sewing kit is stitched many summers bargain coats into courtroom worthiness. Some say they just blindly obey the boss. Others, that their blurry selectric sphere in striking digit to paper calls forth the real fiscal year. All remember the client who called them those weird old hags died before he could win his appeal. <laughs> Thank you.
Good afternoon. My name is Ashaki Jackson, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Skylight, and thank you, audience. I have a few pieces um, that were written in honor of my late grandmother. These are all pieces of mourning. Bell for Audrey. The heart is a bell. Push the sternum and hear the church doors crack open. Parishioners sludge in. The pulled tongue sounds. What is beneath the skirt but hymns? Wake. In this light, her skin resplendent. The missing breast returns like a runaway child. The chest expands, opens, a bird-speckled sky. In this light, her laughter startles birds from the canopy. At once, a billow of bodies, wild bodies, troubled, unsure of why they propel themselves up and up in fury, why the trees seem to hoist, why the air seemed to crowd so quickly. Language lesson. <laughs> For those who attended the workshop. <laughs> sad poem, sad poem. Okay. Language lesson. The mouth opens like a grave. Our mouths open like her grave. Our mouths, her grave. Thick-tongued cavern, from our throats she blooms. Sunday hymn toward a quiet sky. Thick-tongued quiet, our mouths caverns, graves. Our throats bloom a Sunday sky hymn. Throat hymns. The sky a grave of tongues. Thick blooms quiet our cavernous mouths like a Sunday. Our mouths. Our mouths. Our mouths. Our mouths. Quiet and sky. You guys love my misery. I appreciate that. That's sweet. And the last piece I bury my dead a second time. I have trouble naming this suffering beneath my tongue and sternum, all full-throated and choke. Selah, my mouth rejoices incoherent prayers 
their spittle soft as drowning, long-stranded sorrow. Now is the time for wailing. The unjust body collapses. From here, the tile hums and hums tone deaf. I live alone. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Eden Jeffries. Thank you, Terry, for having us. So this first poem is entitled Casualties of Trade Ships. <clears throat> At the back of the Atlantic's throat, trade winds dance with bearing waters, calling deep from its bottom the wretched. Salt spirits and seaweed goddesses, their tongues, tips of tide summon my ankles, twist up towards my stomach, and I remember the secret notes of women with shackle scars and sword smiles, the ones who gave their black bodies to the sickness of the seas. You don't have to clap. <laughs> This is a new piece entitled, Learning to Live Inside of Myself. I think I'm gonna move this. Dear history, please don't write me into your memory as a graveyard for empty dreams. My voice, cutthroats of the unsung, is collecting silence in the gutter of your imagination. Don't remember me as ravaged pelvis and limbs. My body is not a site for war. It won't be used to resurrect the manhood of broken men. Please don't bury your twisted fantasies inside of me. I will not give birth to your illness, America. Too cowardly to die for freedom, so you kill in its name. Greed is eating at your spine. Power is a prosthetic to your crumbling dignity. I was born into a battleground. A memorial of bloodied brilliance, my mind has inherited infected wounds and I am left cleansing them of your fictions. Don't paint my skin the color of shame and dissonance. I am tired of hating myself for you, America. They tell me we look alike, that we share the same eyes and smile that I have your tragedy in my walk and liberation in my voice. I'm a reminder of everything beautiful about freedom you chose to forget, love. I am learning to grow cheese in my chest. Breathe deeply and bend like them. Archiving stories with my joints rooted and nomadic, I will ride the wind as dandelion seeds do, remembering that I belong to nothing but the truth. I am unlearning the borders in my skin, letting blood reconcile blood, mirrors. I'll stop hiding inside of them and believing in their language. The woman that looks back at me is building a home with her laughter and learning to live inside of light. I will not apologize for my warrior hips or my gentle hands. I will not apologize 
for my magic or my moon songs. Yes. <laughs> Snaps from my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe of lovers. Bass strings bend in a pitted chest. We are held amidst humming woes of lovers lost. There is violence in scraping at bones and swallowing tears. It isn't worth drowning in the blood of your blasts. Sometimes. A twisted organ is the learned love of paper hearts. Tuck your neck beneath the pulse of motherly wrists and look for me there. In the silent notes of back porch ballads, in the grasp of child's body round mama's leg, in a crooked mouth of deep slumber, or in the blind eyes of sun-made silhouettes on your bedroom wall, let me settle there. In shade, beneath bent pages of your favorite book, cast in the curve of a pregnant woman's back, in the tidal collide of pelvic bones or as everlast of tree trunk led scars, lovers' names were etched there, on the backs of our heavy lids, where dreams are painted with firefly light bulbs and hummingbird beaks. Will you remember me there? Thank you. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Manaz. Oh, the mic? Hello, is that better? Yeah, can you hear me? Okay. Um, I'm gonna read two poems, and the first one you might relate to if you've ever had a bad breakup and you consulted psychics in the process of recovering. So, um, <laughs> this is called The White Dress. The psychics lied. He didn't call on Tuesday. The whole weekend passed and still the phone silence predicted nothing. I had clothes to wash. Sweaters and scarves lay dormant across my bedroom floor like petals off a vase. I called hope and charity, moonbeam and lovely too. Each day I surfed the websites of clairvoyance with a Coke in my hand. The headlines railed against sugar, still I clung to the cold drops of sweetness. Forgot to load discs in the CD player. Forgot the climbing interest rates on my credit card. Dialed and asked for a shooting star, waiting for the operator to connect. Monday, she said, Monday your luck will change. And by April, you'll find Cupid sitting on your left shoulder again. You'll be writing odes to breakfast, the resilience of men. But Monday came and went, and still I forgot the CDs. The petals on my bedroom floor grew wilder, mixed with the sudden crunch of leaves, and I spent the evenings hiding under a blanket, praying for a text from God or someone else who saw the past, present, and future simultaneously, someone pregnant with answers who might say, it's time to do your laundry and put on the white dress, the one you wore the night he pulled you close, asked how often you read your horoscope, the night you kissed as though winter might never end, as though some hippie medium with flowers in her hair had seen the moment years ago in a dream on a calm, quiet night in Athens, Georgia. 
right. And then this um, is just like the back poem. It's, from my chapbook? I don't know. I guess that's a new thing. They were like, oh, we need a poem for the back. I was like, okay, fine. So, um, and then I, I guess, like, I'm not especially a political poem, but I'm, like, political about the San Fernando Valley. Like, we don't suck. Okay, so this is, like, my poem to that. All right, glitter. Here on Ventura Boulevard, amid the click of sunglasses, the honk of slamming doors, I, too, dream of porches. Sometimes I talk to the stop signs, tell them I'm craving my mom's chicken tikka masala. Sometimes I eat a food court samosa while I shop to escape the mirth of police sirens. In Sherman Oaks, buying and selling our religions and people dress in Europe to walk their dogs. It's not capitalistic to see a suited man stalk a homeless one. It's not alcoholic to inhale pints of German beer. Stumbling past the neon store signs, not a nun could argue this place is beige. Even the cloudy apartment buildings wear a department store glitter. Even the muted sidewalks speak schoolyard French. Most nights I dream of potato chips, the metal of sugar-free gum. When I crave the bling of buttered papadum, I watch subtitled films. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name's Sharon Venezio. Thank you, Minaz, for supporting Sherman Oaks in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> we live in the same town. Uh, I'm excited to read here again at Skylight Books with Writers at Work, and I am especially excited this year because I get to read from my new book, The Silence of Doorways. So I'll be reading three poems, and the first one I thought I would read because it happens to be Poem of the Month on the Writers at Work blog. Disquietude. For two months I've been living with monks, no longer dizzy from the circle of worry. I see truth in the order of things, eat for the body, not the senses. Still, I crave the sky in my mouth, feel Kerouac's fabulous Roman candles explode like spiders beneath my skin. Wake yawning for coffee, daydream of curry and spice, make poems in my head about the wild dishevelment of being, that fierce blue drowning. Of the ten defilements, passion is the one I can't shake. In a month, I'll step out of the forest, carry my longing home again. This next poem is, um, it's in five short sections, and it's about uh, the marriage of my parents. It's called Storm. Not a good title to describe the marriage of your parents, right? Um, one, in the slack of home, the TV was always on. Children safe in their pajamas, housed in a cul-de-sac of blue lit windows, Drying the last dish, her work was done. She will go on like this for decades. Two, a round wood table where food turns the people into a family. Look how beautiful their grievance. Three, her husband stands in a field with his camera, shutter open to the flood of light. 
He photographs birds, knows their names and habits. She measures the distance between wife and lens, migrates inward. Four. The storm was like the sky overflowing, spilling into windows, but more like a storm, like a storm overflowing into windows, the windows open out onto the unstoppable world. Five. There is an ancient sorrow tattooed on her chest, buoyant as a life jacket. She can no longer feel the boundary between her body and the water. And the last poem I'll read, and I, I do know where it is. I did know where it was. Um, this poem is about the photographer Francesca Woodman. If you don't know her, she uh, shot a lot of black and white photographs and used her body to kind of integrate with the environment. And it, they're usually gritty, kind of grainy environments and images. This is called Becoming the Image. Look how she introduces herself, wearing only black shoes. Her body merges with the wall. The story is not the body, not the wall, but the merging. The mirrors and windows can't believe their own surfaces, the untellable outline of what is. A woman is a reflection eaten by light, flattened by paper. The gesture of a camera in her hand, constructor and constructed. Every glance speaking the unspoken body, a sliver of a mirror on and on. Thank you. My name is Andrew Wessels. Thank you, Terry, for inviting me, and thank you, Skylight, for having all of us here. I'm going to read three poems about Las Vegas. Guillaume Apollinaire in the lobby of the MGM Grand during the pre-fight promotions for the Miguel Cotto-Manny Pacquiao boxing match, November 19, 2009. This is war, and I know what I am fighting for. Red gloves and sea cords. The bar of light over the world, and in here, a little boy holds his mother's leg. The farther the insults fly, more of them watching in a few days. Between the stores, between the marble inlaid tiles reflecting light and the colors of flags, between the suitcase and the lobby desk, flashbulbs, a lion, clear glass. A pendulum divides time, defines time. We have here. Poe cared more about the furniture than the pendulum. He wears a yellow shirt. Robert Creeley, standing outside the bathroom on the Aria Casino floor, waiting for his friend. The same thing happened last night and the other resting in my hand, which I turn over onto its back, the little ridged thing that it is, a bird or a bird's egg, the fragility of life, deft among my fingers, how in fall 
the sun is still, brighter than imagination raining on all the people, how fine the weather is now outside, inside, all the people, all the places the same, and different strands of gold run along the wires. An older J.A. sitting on the covers in a Tropicana guest room, watching a rerun of Bones and praying. One, give me the strength to walk heaven across the casino floor with the strength of the room attendant carrying my cheeseburger and beer. I watch myself in the ceiling mirrors trace seams on the bedspread. I should be decorated with flowers. How does it matter whether I sleep? The mountains outside the window surprise me. Turn to watch my friend walk into the bathroom, his towel dropped to the marble floor. Now all is different without having changed. When I will be that, hard like the daisy and white like the stone, when I will be the cleanliness of picked bone, in the end there was fire, and in fire the whiteness of bone. Two, where the young man is now pushing more grilled steaks up the service elevator, or taking his break at the slot machines in the next hotel. Now all is different without having changed. Mud on the shoes leads to the beginning, what we find in the end. The body was mummy in a funhouse, discovered by a boy. Look me into this death. Discover the reason. Explain me into a report. Write me into the words of this world. Anything happened. We are beautiful in the mirror. Wool-dyed flowers, plastic flowers, plastic flowers. The original cover peels back a scented sock. The fast-moving station car Call me this man in a room, bones, as if he knows I am watching. Thank you. Hi. My name's Helen Yeoman. If any of you uh, end up writing a poem entitled Snaps from My Mother, I'll want to read it. <laughs> I love that. All right, this first poem is entitled, A Marine Request Led Zeppelin. You shout, play over the hills and far away. A ginger babe, younger than my brothers, carved marble abs, black ink stamped back. You stumble toward me through the tabletop forest, dodging bar stools, palms outstretched to cop a feel. You think I got the love you need? I lick your lips. Wonder how death tastes. Will you know soon? I don't recall your name, but you seem excited to go. We're shipping you off while we remain, wasting the lives for which you'll pay. Over the hills, far away, is where you'll go, where you may stay. This uh, next poem is called Fabulous. Yesterday I received only one piece of mail, the most recent Victoria's Secret brochure advertising their newest collection, Fabulous. 
According to Victoria, Fabulous is approximately 5'11 and 118 pounds. Fabulous wears uh, matching Barbie pink bra and panty sets whilst cuddling with puppies. On the next page, Fabulous dons a sophisticated ivory and black lace strapless bra, again with matching panties, completes the look with black pumps, and seductively kneels on her bed, pretending to eat huge slices of cake and pastel macaroons. In the evening, Fabulous slips into her rhinestone-encrusted navy push-up and matching thong. Sparkling like a star, she spends hours in her shoe closet, laughing as she tries on pair after pair of stilettos, apparently the only type of shoe she owns. <laughs> I realize what Victoria wants, so I'll play along. Here's my brochure. Puppy? Check. But we're in a park. I'm fully clothed, my bardo bouffant has been swept into a greasy ponytail, and I've been sweating. Because I actually eat both the cake and macaroons, I'm approximately 145 pounds. I'm dressed in sweatpants and my favorite comfy tee from summer camp, 1989. My shirt is older than Miss Fabulous. My bras and panties rarely match. My breasts are about the same size as Fabulous's, which is nice since it took forever to show up. Coincidentally, my gut arrived about the same time. I've heard this is common. My closet is jam-packed, spilling over with piles of unread magazines, spiral notebooks, clothing hangers, and yes, boxes of shoes, but only a few stilettos. Two large cartons are stuffed with cards sent from people I've cherished for years before Victoria started, making, uh, started mailing me her ridiculous brochures. So, as I toss the coupon Victoria included into the trash, I'll fill you in on my secret. At 36, after reviewing the glaring discrepancies, I still fully believe I too am fabulous. <laughs> And then this very last poem I want to read, um, I will kind of set up briefly because it was originally prompted by um, an exercise that I did in a workshop with one of our up-and-coming poets, Menaz. And then I took like one of the rough drafts into Poets at Work and had them give me feedback. So this is where the poem currently stands, but it's kind of a fun way to to see how poems evolve um, over time with the influence and input of other fellow poets. It's called The Watch. You absent-mindedly left your watch behind. Olive green cloth strap, large round face, with a minute hand that stretches like the long hall that separates my apartment from your world. I chased after you, cried out your name, but my yelps just blistered the air, were funneled through the corridor's vortex. I tripped over cogs, not fast enough to reach you. I've locked the watch away with the nickel and dime you left on my bureau, the one by my bed where you emptied your pockets, crawled under my covers. I'm keeping them here, tucked away safely, in my leather chest, so I may hand them to you upon your return. That was six years ago. And your tick-tocks, your tricks and blocks still haunt me, a non-stop metronome. If I had known, I would have run faster, would have caught you, clasped that band, wound it, wound it tight around your wrist. But I didn't know how swiftly seconds sprint. And by now, 
I hope the battery is dead. Thank you. And even though we're not supposed to introduce the next readers, I would be remiss if I didn't introduce the hostess with the mostess, Terry Wovelchin. <laughs> Thank you, Helen. I'm going to read two poems. And um, these poems are written by, with, through a process that I've been uh, working with lately, where I invite people to give me prompts, uh, a few words, a phrase, and from those I just kind of do fevered writing without thinking a lot about it. And then I take that fevered writing and I take it all apart, the nouns, the verbs, the adjectives, and then I recombine it into a poem. So um, I'm going to read you two of those. of disappearing. When the elephant is gone, what will we know of its lustrous eyes? With the lungs of our planet full of mud and the white ice dying, will we prowl the graveyards of language to ask the time? There's evidence of night in the cement sky, in the velocity of turning spokes. Sharks remember another time, remember the green waves and the source of darkness. Adrift now in a world without water, they bump and crash through streets in flame, too narrow for the crumpled vehicles bleeding at the right of way. Even in the deepest jungle, still the weak are prey. Hummingbird rips the flickering leaves. The woman, what can she preserve but hurt? Her bracelet carved from tusks, her shining fan a candelabra. The stone of her skin smooth as a wound. Her rooms echo with reckoning, her questions answered in rhyme, her smile too rosy to be real. Blown open. I can recognize anarchy when I see it. You planting small warm buttons in the violet earth. I wanted your fingers to unlatch my spine, everything detonating in my wary brain, landmines going off in the blood garden. Wherever I thought I was revealed to be another world. If that seems terrible, it was, but I was no victim. I was a buried planet exposed to pearled light, I was a river of fire, a star dismantled in a recent galaxy, photo of an aching sky. Before this, my face held tight to its metal casing, jaws packed with wars of remembering, fiery cities of nothing known or chosen. 
Before this, I fished seeds from a blackened shore. Now my hand curls around this velvet bomb. You laugh, embrace the innocence you've sown. Thank you. So, I want to thank all of you for joining us this afternoon and for your lovely and careful attention. I want to thank the members of Poets at Work, and especially I want to thank our guest poets this afternoon. Let's have a round of applause for all of them. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.